Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I'm glad that you're tuning in and that I get to spend the next few minutes with you today. I want to see you succeed in life, and I want to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we're learning how to live as God's people. We haven't arrived yet. We're still figuring it out. And we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Today, I want to share with you one of my favorite psalms, Psalm number one. It's short and it's sweet, but there's a lot packed into it about the choice that each of us must make in life between God's way and going our own way. This psalm is beautiful in its promise and it's blunt in its truth. The way of the righteous is contrasted by the way of the wicked. One way leads to life, just to stability, to goodness. The other leaves leads to lifelessness and impermanence. And ultimately, its wickedness leads to destruction. Well, you can tell a lot about a ship from the wake it leaves behind. Henry Cloud remarks on this by saying you can tell a bit about the boat's size, speed, how certain the captain is on where they're going by the trail behind the boat. Cloud continues likening the wake of a boat to your life. You leave a trail of waves behind you. Those waves reflect your actions how your actions impacted the tasks that you worked on and the relationships in your life. Interestingly enough, Cloud says that the waves always have two sides. One side is the work you do, and the other side is your relationships, and one will always impact the other. And like the wake behind a ship, the waves behind your life tell a story about your actions and relationships. It doesn't explain them. It doesn't justify them. It just tells the story. And a wake... Behind a ship is a consequence of a boat traveling through the waters, and each of us face consequences for our actions and our relationships, for good or bad. And Psalm 1 also speaks about actions and their results, and ultimately their consequences. And Psalm 1 ultimately asks the question, where do you live? Where do you spend your time? Because the big idea here is where you live matters. And the way you live with relationships, the thoughts you let reside in your minds, all the stuff you fill up your life with has consequences. And we need to understand that and take it seriously. So let's go ahead and go and read the text in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Through, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." Psalm 1 can neatly be divided up into three sections, three pairs of verses describing the importance of our actions, the results of those actions, and lastly, the consequences that we have to deal with for eternity. So let's start by looking at actions. That's Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. They talk about actions, and the psalm begins with this word, blessed which can also be read as happy. The proposal is this. If you want happiness, if you want blessing, then do the following. But I got to say, it's not a math formula. 
simply avoiding evil living and dwelling on the Word of God, it should result in the blessing of happiness. But while you and I live here on earth, problems will arise and tragedy will occur. So it's not a surefire promise. It's a recipe. The instruction of Psalm 1 tells us that this sort of living results in a certain type of life. It's not a math problem. It's this is the likely outcome. If you really want to be blessed, then you got to do this. An indicator of this would be to picture the opposite, if you will. Picture someone who joins the wicked, a sinner who is seated with the mockers, uh, who ignores and even rejects the word of God. The, the obvious result of all that is going to be not blessing, but misery is going to be the wake left behind that life. Your actions will always produce results in your life, for good or ill. It's not a promise of what's going to happen, but it's realizing that the things you do will produce a result. And Psalm 1 proposes actions to avoid and actions to do. So let's start with what Psalm 1 says to avoid. So it begins with this negative idea. Take these things out of your life. Avoid these things. I want to say right up front that this is this psalm is not telling you to cut people out of your life, not telling you to write off people. Let's remember right away that Jesus ate meals and rubbed elbows with sinners, with the people that were the most unlovable in society. He sat with them. So don't read this text and decide that there are some people you've just got to, to have nothing to do with. There is a difference between association and participation. The boundary here is to not join in with the wicked. Do not emulate them. This is about what you will become. It's also about what the people you're responsible for are becoming, like your children. And so there are boundaries that are needed to guard them. Again, it's not about association as much as it is is participation. Becoming. And the psalm describes this in two ways, our posture first and then by people. So the postures described in Psalm 1 are, are three different types. It's walk, stand, and sit. There's a progression in these actions. There's, there's traveling in the same direction, walking, and then there's stopping to stay. That's standing. And then pulling up a chair, moving in, getting immersed, becoming a permanent resident in the sinful life. There's three types of people that are also described. There's, you know, walk in the way of sinners, stand with, or walk in the way of the wicked, stand with sinners, and then sit in the seat with mockers. Each one gives a dimension of the way. It gives us all, all, it's all a picture of the same thing, but those different people are telling us different parts. Wicked, that Hebrew word for wicked describes not just a a naughty person who doesn't like the rules, but a person that if they were brought up before a judge, they would be found guilty of crime. It's serious business. The term for sinner here doesn't just describe an isolated act of evil, although that's bad, but this describes a person who is dominated by sin. It shapes their desires and their actions. And lastly, the term mocker describes not just a curious questioner wanting to challenge the ideas, but someone who holds disdain for right living and openly expresses anger at those who seek God, even anger at God. This picture that we're given here with these three postures and three types of people is about actively and ardently living in such a way that you guard against this path that invites you to pull up a chair and to stop seeking God. It's about realizing that if you're not careful, you'll become what you do not want to be. 
So avoid these things. Now, there's also positive stuff that we are to do described in this psalm. It says this, that the way of God is not just about avoiding bad stuff, but pursuing that which is good. And Psalm 1 gives you instructions about what to pursue. And first, The first instruction, the first action is to delight. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, let's think about that word delight for a moment. What does that mean? Webster defines delight as a high degree of gratification or pleasure. What is it that delights you? Think about that for a moment. What delights you? What really makes you happy? What pleases you? It can be a lot of things, and I hope that you have a lot of things that delight you. It could be the big game that comes up every year. It could be success at work. It could be a son or a daughter or a friend. Sometimes delights are much simpler. Over a year ago, the Walker family went on a little vacation up to Lake Chautauqua in the state of New York. It was a beautiful place. Our room was just a short walk down to the lake, and we, we decided when we got there, let's just do that. Let's go walk down to the edge of the lake, and what a delight it was to hear the sounds of the lake. And there was a, a concert and a gazebo at the park we were standing in, and I spotted a van that made me laugh. The person there had all advertisements all over the van about meeting Bigfoot, and, and they wanted to share their experience with meeting Bigfoot. And I thought, okay, that's silly, but it just delighted me. But above all, we encountered Boxcar Barney's ice cream, and I will never forget that ice cream. It delighted me. The servings were absurdly large, and the flavors were very rich. When I placed my order, I didn't understand the serving sizes, and I was, you know, my standard procedure when I'm ever at a new ice cream place is say, just give me the most extreme chocolate flavor you have. And it was vacation, so I thought, you know what? Two scoops would be good. I, I figured, you know, most designer ice cream places give you these little servings, so give me two. And as I waited for my order, I saw another customer receive their ice cream cone, and it looked like it had a small moon on top of it. Their version of a scoop at Boxcar Barney's was, oh, it was larger than a softball. It was huge. It, I, I realized I had made a mistake. And when I got my ice cream cone with its two scoops, yeah, and you could get up to four. Like, I don't even know how that could happen. It was comical. But that, that ice cream cone, it was massive. And that dark chocolate ice cream was dark and good. Never again will I order two scoops from there. But that ice cream was a delight. It held my attention. We still talk about it. It was a pleasure to eat. And we feel its ab absence. Every once in a while we go, oh, we should go back there someday. That was so much fun. And it should be the same way when you delight in the law of the Lord. His word should gain your attention, should form a deep memory, and, and leave a mark on your life. And when the word is absent from your life... You should feel it. And I guess I should maybe answer that quite bluntly here. Just what is the law of the Lord that we're to delight in? Well, it's the Torah. That's literally the law, the first five books of the Bible. It's God's instruction for your life. It's the whole Bible that's being talked about here. Interestingly enough, there is a little tip in this verse that this is the whole Old Testament. Um, the Jewish Bible, uh, and what we would call our Old, Est Old Testament, is arranged a little differently than the Christian Bible. Uh, the Jewish Bible has three parts to it. The Torah, the law, the Nabim, which is the prophets, and the Ketubim, which is the writings. 
So the Torah means law, and you know, and the means prophets and Ketuvim's writings. And interestingly enough, Psalm one is the first chapter found in the Ketuvim section, and it has this verse that says, "Hey, you need to delight in the law of the Lord. Do what it says." And the book of Joshua is the first book in the Nabim section, the prophets. And in it, in the first chapter, uh, around verse 7, you read these words, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Meaning, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, if you want good results, you have to do this. So we have the law. And we have the beginning of the writings that says, follow the law, and the beginning of the prophets that says, follow the law. All throughout the Old Testament, there's this message, if you want good results, you start and end with obeying God's word. And lastly, I'd simply say this about what this law is. Well, we know in the New Testament that Jesus is called the word. It's there in the Gospel of John chapter 1. He's described as the word. And it's also told to us that it's by Jesus alone that we can be saved from sin. And he also describes himself as the way. Jesus is the way to eternal life. So, yeah, follow the law. Delight in the law. That's literally the commandments of God, the instruction of God. It's the whole Bible. It's Jesus. We're not told just to delight in it. We're told to meditate upon it. And that is an important word for us to get our minds around as well. Psalm 1 tells us about this meditating. And the Hebrew word here that's found in Psalm 1 is the word hagah, which means to murmur lowly, means to dwell on. It has another meaning, which is growl. And you'll find that same word meditate, hagah, in Isaiah 31.14, describing a lion. It says, as a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, meaning a lion enjoys enjoying its prey, growling over it, and then just taking it in. Or you could think of a dog worrying over a bone. It's a dwelling. When I was a boy, my parents had a home with a great big hemlock tree in the backyard. It's a beautiful tree. Very, very tall tree, big around. It was a place of adventure. Hemlocks are an evergreen tree. Uh, it's a pine tree uh, with very short, short uh, needles Um, And they're very soft. Uh, So it was easy to be around that tree. It's not like some pine trees, the needles are very stiff and sharp. And um, the branches of this tree went all the way to the ground. So it formed kind of like a hedge or a wall. It was that big. And then it was very tall. And um, we found that you could push your way past those outer needles to the interior of the tree. And inside that hemlock was a little paradise. It was like its own little quiet room on, in the backyard. It was quiet and shady and cool. There was pine fragrance everywhere, plenty of branches to climb for little boys. My friends and I played in there a lot, especially with plastic army men. I am sure I, I spied it out on Google Maps. The tree's still there. And uh, I'm sure there's still some army men underneath that tree. Um, there also are plenty of sticks to make shelters and forts. We just had so much fun there. And 
every once in a while, my parents would trim a few branches and uh, kind of just taking care of the tree to make sure it was healthy. And my friends and I prized those branches. Often they were eight feet long, and they they my parents and they trimmed them. They'd take off all the all the needles and little side branches. So it was just a long pole, and so we used those for rafters in our forts. And often we would use them as long staffs, reenacting Robin Hood and Little John battling over the river crossing, and it was just a lot of fun. But there was another creature at my family's house that loved those branches. That was a family dog. Uh, our Labrador, her name was Anne. It was a yellow Labrador. You often hear me talk about our current Labrador, Sophie, which is uh, my dog, our, this Walker family's dog. But my parents had a Labrador named Anne, and she uh, would wait till she thought no one was looking, and then she would wander inside of that hemlock tree. And a few minutes would pass, and then with great effort, you would see that dog pull out of the tree one of those long, eight-foot-long branches, ten-foot-long branches. They looked impossibly big, too big for that dog to handle, but she would drag that branch to her favorite spot in the yard. She'd settle in and begin chewing on that branch, and for some reason, she loved chewing on those branches. I don't know if it was the pine sap or what it was. And over the course of a month... Because once she got a branch, we just let her have it. We knew she was determined. It didn't matter what we did with it. If it was still in the on the yard, she would grab it. But over the course of a month, she would whittle it down, those eight-foot-long, ten-foot-long branches, into nothing. What was impossibly big for our dog was now ground up as mulch all over the yard. And certainly some of it was eaten, too, I'm sure. That dog... Hagad meditated, growled over those branches. And meditating on the word, I think, should be a bit like that. Slow, with determination, taking the impossibly big, wonderfully divine word of God into your life. How often are you meditating on the word? This psalm says, do it day and night. In other words, all the time. Deuteronomy 6.4 is one of the most highly prized scriptures among the Jewish people. It's a prayer that they repeat every day. They wear it on their bodies. They place it on their homes. And I want you to hear it in its larger context. And it echoes what we read in Psalm 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Do you hear the parallels to what we read in Psalm 1? Blessed is the one who does not take the route of wickedness, but who instead delights in God's law. So, we've talked about some actions we're to take. We're to avoid, and then we're to do some things. Delight in God's law and meditate upon it. But then there's results, and there's consequences, and we need to look at those for a moment or two here. So, let's talk, take a look at results. Psalm uh, 1, verses 3 and 4 talk about those results, and they paint contrasting pictures of what will happen to a person who lives this way, the way you're supposed to, as opposed to the one who does not. And so the good picture is that you will be a well-watered tree. Yeah, a tree is such an enduring plant. It's a picture of permanence and stability. And I just want to note that it, the, the word here is it's planted. 
It's not an accident. It just doesn't happen to fall by the water. It's planted purposefully. You're getting the master gardener involved. It's under his care. You are not there by accident, but you are tended. And we're told the location by streams of water. Israel knows a lot about the desert and the wadis that only run with water when rain falls. But this is a picture of a tree by a stream that never dries up. And then we're told about the fruit. It's fruit that comes in season when it's supposed to. and has leaves that do not wither. What a beautiful picture. And it's echoed in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Then there's the other picture. What happens to those who do the opposite? They stop in the way of sinners and the wicked and the mockers, and they do not delight in the Lord, and they are chaff, blown away. It's not a tree, but it is a plant, chaff, or it's a part of a plant. Plant chaff is the outer shell of grain, and it's useless to us as food. It's Chaff is something that has to be gotten rid of before grain can be processed and eaten. So where the righteous are a stable tree, the wicked are blown away, forgotten, temporary, fleeting, and discarded. Now again, God is not saying these are throwaway people that are worthless, but rather this is the result that their lives have produced. And that's what the psalm is about, the results of your actions. You can take actions that are going to produce healthy, good results, or you can take actions that are going to make you miserable. And so this needs to be taken seriously. And so the Lord, as he gives us Psalm 1, takes it one step further and lays out consequences in verses 5 and 6. So I've talked about actions. I've talked about results that come from those actions. But then God wants us to comprehend the gravity of the situation. He speaks of eternal consequences. Simply put, the wicked will be destroyed, and the righteous will enjoy eternity. So, we're being told, eternity hangs in the balance. The things you do right now, who you invest in, and what you invest in, produces results and has consequences. Take it seriously. Take Jesus seriously. So, what are we to do? Realize that how you live matters, and who you live with matters. The question is twofold. First, will you live with Jesus as your Savior? That's how eternity is secured and your sin atoned for. But secondly comes how you live as Jesus' disciple. Will you then, now as his disciple, take action in a way that produces good, holy results. Not to earn salvation or be worthy of it, but as a response to what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live well. Help us to hunger for and to delight in your word. Holy Spirit, convict us when we become lax and start walking in the way of the world. Instead, hold us close to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.